All right, welcome to the Armchair Commanders podcast. My name is John. And I'm tired. Just kidding, I'm Jack. Hi, tired. Hi, tired. uh, Can I call you Jack? And this week, we have another bonus reel for you. We are doing an impromptu review of the film Oppenheimer as it just came out uh, a few days ago. And uh, I guess what better place to start than... uh, What'd you think, Jack? So, I did the meme. Oh, I the Barben- Bar- the You did the Barbenheimer? Did, you're damn right I did. I did Barbenheimer. I watched them both on the same day. However, everyone says you're supposed to watch Oppenheimer in the morning or early afternoon. Go out, have a cigarette and some coffee, maybe with some whiskey with your buddies and just mull about the existential dread we all feel ever since the nuclear shadow cast itself upon us. Correction. We cast the nuclear shadow ourselves upon ourselves. Anyway, very deep. Yeah. Yeah. Very, but, and then you're supposed to get all dolled up and have a nice dinner and maybe some mimosas with your homies and then dress in all pink and go to Barbie. And, let me just say, both of these movies were amazing. I friggin' loved Barbie. It was one of those films that you watch and you just know that everybody involved had the time of their goddamn lives making it. Yeah, this was... Uh, I didn't see Barbie. I didn't do the Barbenheimer. Um, I only did Oppenheimer and m- me and Miranda are going to go check out Barbie next week. Uh, mostly because we don't have enough ADHD medication to make it through both. Um, so we just chose one over the other. But, but uh, I, f- I forgot to finish my thought. I kind of dropped it. But, you know, I, that's what you're supposed to do is watch Oppenheimer first and Barbie second. However, I did the opposite and I watched Barbie first and then Oppenheimer. Now, may did I do it wrong? Maybe, but is there merit to the way I did it? I think so. Did you cry yourself to sleep afterwards or? No, I was hoping I'd have some really fucked up nightmares, but those didn't come. Sadly, I just had dreams about death again. But honestly, the way I see it, you know, Barbie's a lighthearted, fun little jaunt. But then you watch Oppenheimer and you're brought back down to earth again. You're a thinking man. You're a feeling man. Like you're back to reality. Oop, there goes gravity. You're a man of science. Damn Skippy, I am. Bachelor of Science. Not that that's saying much, but it's God not because it. I got a I got a Bachelor of Arts. So yeah, well, I've I got sp- a Bachelor of Science, magna cum laude. Ha <laughs> ha. Look at you racking up a, a title and whatnot. Yeah, just call me Dr. Professor next time you see me. And don't you forget it. Anyway, if you can't tell, me and John are very tired. We just had a hell of a day. Yeah, it was it was a long work day for both of us, but we care about our listeners, so. God damn it, my day was successful, so I have that. It was just fucking long. I woke up at 3.30 in the morning. Drove to goddamn North Dakota, about 150 miles there. Just there all day in this cold-ass office. So it was so cold, I actually had to dig my leather jacket out of my car and wear it while I worked today. 
in the in late July, mind you. And then I had to drive a 150 miles back, immediately go to play practice, and then I came here. Well, that's not true. I stopped at the gas station to refill my car and get my little drinky poo, and then I came here. But yeah, tell, there's no rest for the wicked, but the righteous need none. Maybe they should have done the uh, nuclear testing in North Dakota. It's another barren wasteland that nobody wants to live in. Yeah, it's yeah. Who are you gonna kill? A cow? One of the Maybe. three bison that live up there. Yeah, screw North Dakota. I'm sorry for our North Dakota listeners. I get a little. What all sometimes. all zero of them? Like, <laughs> hey, you don't know. There could be one dedicated. Yes, fan I I do here. know. I like we have a listening map. It shows me like hot spots across the world of where our listeners are and we bro, have z- there are no listeners in north dakota bro in five years they're gonna dig this up and i'm gonna get canceled in north dakota okay now that i say that out loud i see that there's worse places to be canceled or maybe put on a list i don't know i'm just going off on a goddamn topic tangent see i can't even think straight i've only had one square meal today and that was breakfast for and i had leftover pasta did you put it on a tray what do you think? Let's put this out on a tray. No. Nice. <laughs> okay, now I get the reference. But I no, I put it in a shitty little bowl and reheated it in the microwave like the goddamn savage I am. So, but, I know you said you had a, a great time. What was your, your viewing experience for this movie? So, my buddy Frank picked the seats. And he Tijuana Mama me. Frank. Yes, that very same Frank. You know, we should get him as a guest on this podcast sometime. Hey, maybe. I don't I don't think he's been through any war or has any military know-how. God no. But anyway, like he picked the seats and they were in the exact front of the third row. So we were in the shit. Like we got a we didn't get a front row seat. We got really close though. And Sadly, when the atomic bomb went off, it didn't kill me, but it sure startled me when that sudden noise came. I I really appreciated that scene in this movie, which was, um, you know, I it's it's the moment that everybody is going for and is waiting for is the the nuclear blast, and the fact that it's like thirty seconds of just pure quiet and then is followed up by the you know like freight train explosion i i jumped (laughs) yeah it was a it was a great decision on nolan's part like it's one of those things that you see a mile coming but you just don't you just it's a matter of when really like you know it's art you know it's coming but you just can't prepare yourself for the noise and the solid like 10 or 15 minutes leading up to that is like some of the most tension I felt about a story that I knew was coming. Now, hear me out on this. It kind of like, I know you're going to guffaw at this, but it reminded me of Titanic. Now, hear me out. No, I, I get it. I get oh, okay. it. I thought, I, thought, I thought you were about to roast me. No, but... I... I, I think I get where you're coming from, but I'll let you elaborate. Like, 
you know what's going to happen. You went into this movie knowing damn well what's going to happen. But it still shocks you. Like, both of these are historical movies. Both of these, everyone and their mother knows the outcome. But just the way it unfolds, damn it. Like, you almost, like, what? these are both really long movies. Like, at a certain point, you, I feel like you subconsciously forget what happens. You're just lost in the moment. Like, oh, this rich girl is courting this poor guy. Okay, they're having sex now. Boy, I sure hope nothing. Oh, they're going to die. That's right. I forgot what movie I'm watching. And it's like, oh, uh, depressed Killian Murphy. Uh, you know, okay, there, there's a war going on, that, but, you know, he's not in it. So what can happen? Oh, right. That's what he did for the war effort. Okay. Also, I, I just want to add as a quick aside. I really like that scene where early in the movie, he's out camping with his brother and his buddy in New Mexico and or in Los Alamos or what would later become Los Alamos. And like they're riding their horses, unpacking. And he's like, oh, I love Los Alamos. I just wish there was a way I could combine physics and Los Alamos. And you could practically hear the monkey paw curling. <laughs> this, kids, is what we call foreshadowing. Yeah. Like, they they just beat you to death with that. Like, I just couldn't help but laugh, even though I know I really probably shouldn't have been. <laughs> you know, you already mentioned that this was a really long movie. But... Mm -hmm. I think I noticed it maybe about two thirds of the way through, but for being a three hour movie, this does not feel like it's three hours. It is like each individual scene is so each individual scene is short enough and fast paced enough that you are constantly like, there's not a dull moment in this movie, even though like, there are boring conversations and there are what should be boring moments, but just the way that it's written and paced at no point was I like, God, when does the next moment come up? Um, and I think that's a, a real testament to how they shot this film is just mm -hmm. the like, like one after the other, like we are progressing this story along because we have a lot of ground to cover. And, you know, I don't think I, checked my watch until like the two and a half hour mark and i was like oh shit like i kind of do i agree with you but i also kind of disagree with you because in my opinion the court scene after the whole bomb and the fallout of said bomb yes that was kind of a tie-in i swear i didn't mean that but the bomb and the proverbial fallout like the court scene that just drags out after that i kind of it kind of lost me there i gotta admit like you're talking I, I about the rdj versus killian oh, okay court scene and rami malik comes in also i didn't know he was in this movie but that there's was always so many there's so many fun cameos in this movie but that yeah. was a welcome surprise because i loves me some rami malik haven't still haven't watched mr robot though um loved him in the pacific anyway i'm getting off topic but the courtroom scene i'm a fan of his work in uh, night at the museum oh yeah that's right he was the pharaoh mm -hmm. yep anyway yeah the courtroom scene like it got to a point where i just wanted to sit up and say will you just fuck already 
<laughs> God damn it. Uh, yeah, and that that uh, who did Robert Downey Jr. play again? I can't. But I actually looked him up after I got home from this movie, and that guy was super petty in real life, and he just did not know when to let shit go. Like, well, I mean, that, that's the way with most politicians. I mean, yes, but this guy, holy shit, Louis like, Strauss. Yes, yeah, yeah, but he said Strauss or Strauss, Strassa. And that was another thing Wikipedia mentioned is how it was odd that he pronounced his name like that. And people thought he was trying to distance himself from his Jewish heritage when he was actually really vocal in his life about supporting the Jews. But anyway, I digress. Strauss. He, um, yeah, he never let that courtroom thing go for the rest of his life. He like hated Oppenheimer with a burning atomic passion. Great alliteration. Thank you. I'm quite poetic when I'm tired. Um, I really liked the um, title that Oppenheimer has, whether he probably liked it or not. The American Prometheus. That also made for a great uh, opening scene. Like, really kind of sets the, um, you know, the quote about, you know, Prometheus stealing fire and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um. I think that sets the stage way better than a cue card that's like, it's 1938 and the world is on the brink of war. <laughs> that would that kind of would have been hilarious though if it had a Star Wars The Clone Wars esque intro. Burr, 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 it's burr, 1938. Burr, 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 burr. 1939. Hitler invades Poland. <laughs> We're falling behind in bomb research. Um, but yeah, the whole um, allegory of Prometheus stealing fire from the gods to give to man, but not quite fully grasping the reality of what he just did. Yes, I, uh, <clears throat> yes, it brought us. The, go ahead. I was going to say the, you know, the the allegory to Prometheus. I really appreciate how we see. Uh, Oppenheimer go from do we know if Oppenheimer was on the spectrum because I feel like the way he's portrayed in this film he he had to have been you know I really don't think I'm qualified enough to make that call I have aided in the diagnosis diagnoses whatever of people before but they were never on my own because you know I, I think you need a PhD for that yeah but, but i did study this and i wouldn't be surprised if he was somewhat on the spectrum so it's it's interesting to see him as a guy who is just so utter like the way that you know i was talking to miranda about this have you ever heard the like the the analogy of like anybody can play you know notes on a piano but only like a select few people can actually like make music out of it yeah and the w the way i see it is like he comes off a little uh spectrumy but the way that uh christopher nolan portray there's a line that killian murphy says where he says 
I was tormented by visions or dreams or something like that. And you're like, man, that's kind of weird. But then you actually see what Christopher Nolan interprets that to mean, which is like, he is literally plagued by these images of like spinning atoms and shit and like fission and all that stuff. And it's like, it was one of the first times I think I've truly understood that statement where it's like, Oh, Oppenheimer is one of these people that operates on a completely different level than the rest of us as a, as a person where like, he is so completely involved in this particular subject and topic that, you know, it is because of this obsession that he's probably the only person who could accomplish something like this. Um, and it was such an interesting part of this movie to see his journey of, I am pursuing this because I'm totally and wholly obsessed with it and I'm going to accomplish my goal and then once I have accomplished my goal, it is only then do I realize the ramifications of what I've done and, you know, have to deal with that internal, like, moral struggle. But yeah, I looked it up. Um, and there was an article posted literally minutes ago. In fact, it's dated July 25th, 2023. Um, and... Well, the results are pretty much what you expect and conclusive. Like, yeah, he did display some autistic traits, like the obvious social awkwardness. He didn't like eye contact. Same. Yes, and that big on it sometimes as well. But again, this is all just speculative. He was never formally diagnosed or even took the test. And our knowledge of autism still isn't where it should be. I think I've mentioned before that the guy who was first formally diagnosed in the United States is still alive. Hmm. That's how recent it was. He's 89 years old. Donald Triplett, look it up. Uh, interesting read. But, and there are a lot of people in the science, in various science fields that are on the spectrum. They're, I don't want to say overrepresentative. What's the, proper term for this overdiagnosed no there's just a lot of them in that field they gravitate towards that whatever but oversaturated no no there's a lot of them let's just yeah let's that's a good enough phrase yeah it, there's nothing official there's just it's just been speculation but i always take a massive grain of salt with no, excuse me, diagnosing people who are dead. I always yeah. find uh, reading like doctors and archaeologists who try to like, have you ever seen people who try to do like medical diagnoses on like Napoleon and Alexander and stuff like that? Kind of. I just, I find it interesting, but also it, it goes to the whole point of you can you can guess, but unless you can actually evaluate the person, you're never going to truly know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the only, 
are they autistic theory that I at least somewhat buy into is actually, why don't you guess it? I don't, I I don't even know. I'll give you a hint. President, former president. Well, one of our presidents, one of our former presidents who was autistic believed to have been autistic. Um, or at least on the spectrum. Teddy Roosevelt. No. Oh, okay. I don't know. Thomas Jefferson. So he had numerous bizarre habits that seemed off putting to people at the time. He wore clothes that were typically too small for him. He was notoriously hard to talk to and did not socialize well, despite becoming president. And we'll just look at Monticello. There's is, more is, it to, because, is it because he built it himself or from the ground up and he made he invented his own desk to look at blueprints that he wrote himself. Now, maybe he's a eccentric genius. There is that possibility. But also. I, if, I, I guess I could see it here. I'm see if I. Yeah, it's just, it's something to mentally chew on. I'm chewing. I I think there's some merit to it. And yeah, there's a lot there. Those theories are a dime a dozen. There's hundreds of them. They're like, oh, this guy was slightly weird and not socially gifted. He must have had autism. Right. Hmm. I guess he also designed, invented the swivel chair. Huh? Yeah, that that sounds about right. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't know that. So what was your... uh... Gave two speeches in his life. Both were inaugural addresses. Believed Asperger's. I'm sorry, you're saying? I was just getting... No, that's fine. Um, I was going to say, what do you think was... Aside from the explosion scene, what was the the most uh, powerful moment in this film for you? That scene where it's the day. What? No, it wasn't the day after. It was not. It was like a, a, a day to like a week after the war ended. And he gives that public speech at Los Alamos. And oh, the crowd. Yeah. Right when he's starting to give the speech, like the gravity is setting in, and he, the, he d- makes the realization that, oh fuck, I did this. This is on me, and he has that disconnect where he can't hear the cheering. He just he sees the shaking. He sees the bright lights, and he sees he hyper focuses on that woman in the front rows. Faces looks like it was flayed off by the explosion. I I also greatly appreciate that scene because, you know, we don't see, you know, there's not a scene where we watch the bombs be dropped on Hiroshima or Nagasaki. We don't see the effects uh, like firsthand. This is really the the only place in time that we 
see the ramifications of it. And I think it was a great moment to see it as this is how Oppenheimer is viewing the ramifications of his part in this uh, project. Um, I like, I was like, holy shit. Like I said it out loud. I was like, holy shit. And that very same scene where he looks down because he like took a step forward and like he envisions his foot is in this like charred out body. I was like, holy fuck, this turned dark really, really quick. Yeah. Which kind of ties back to what I was saying. Like, you know how the story ends, but it's just how it unfolds in front of you. That's the real kick in the balls. Which, if any of our listeners have not heard or seen how this story ends, uh, check out our first episode and the uh, the film we reviewed for that, which is also about the uh, atomic bombings. Mm-hmm. And that film has about that. that film has no compunctions about telling you what it was like. Yeah, boy, howdy! It, it sure packs a lot in those eight and a half minutes, doesn't it? It sure does. No, less is more sometimes. <clears throat> yeah, and... Did you feel like his wife and kids were one-dimensional? Yes, but I also feel like that was by design because we are viewing his family through his lens. Mm-hmm. And through his lens, I truly believe Oppenheimer, like numero uno priority in his life, is science. And like personal relationships are secondary to that. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, the obvious um, marital issues with his wife. Yeah. I will say that was the only time we stray away. Like usually we are seeing things either from Oppenheimer's perspective or we are seeing it from Strauss's perspective. Um, But I don't know if you remember, remember or caught the moment when he is part of the um, him trying to get his security clearance again, he's giving testimony and he has to talk about how he was unfaithful to his wife uh, because he had met up with a woman who had ties to the Communist Party. Mm-hmm. And like that's the I, as far as I can remember. Granted, I only saw this film the one time in theaters. Um, and usually, I have the benefit of being able to watch and rewatch the movies we review before we do an episode. Um, but we flip to her perspective because as he is telling the story of himself being unfaithful to her, like it flashes to her viewing him like actively engaged in these acts with uh, Florence Pugh, um, like in this like courtroom, like the, like the proverbial, like, Oh, just imagine your audience is in their underpants when you're giving a speech, but like, <laughs> like she is suffering the trauma of this or like, we can tell exactly what she is thinking as Oppenheimer is telling this story. 
And I was going to say, I really like that shot where they're asking straightforward, expecting questions that he expected. And then they ask him intimate details about his time with Florence Pugh's character. God damn it. What was her name? Jean Tatlock. Jean. Is it Jean? Yeah. Jean. He, and then they suddenly pivot to asking qu- intimate details about his time with Gene. And like the, when the camera pans around him and you see him again, he's just sitting there naked. Good shot. Loved it. But that brings surpri- me to my I next I was surprised point. by how small Killian Murphy's nipples were. Which I know but is that- an odd thing to focus on in that moment, <laughs> but it was distracting me. I understand. But that brings me to my next point, the inequality of nudeness in this film. I mean, cool. We get to see Florence Pugh's ass and tits, but I want to see some Killian Murphy dong. Something tells me that would push this into the uh, NC-17 rating. Like, of all the movies to be rated NC-17, but I get that that Fs with the income that the movie sees. Right? Not a lot of people can do the Barbenheimer challenge if it if one of the films is NC-17. Yeah, I, I watched an entire documentary on it, which I highly recommend. This film is not yet rated about the BS behind the film ratings board. I will say, Maybe. this movie's sex scene, the, the initial sex scene between Killian Murphy and Florence Pugh, I don't think I have felt... Th- that awkward watching a sex scene since i was like a kid like you know like you go to a movie with your parents and there's a sex scene you're like um (laughs) like this is the first time i felt that way in a long time just because of how awkward it was like like the fact that kill or oppenheimer had to read sanskrit in the middle of sexual intercourse in order to continue going was really really weird you you don't do that no mostly because i don't read sanskrit and secondly i i don't read uh understandable readings for nerds but yeah nice little bookend but i almost forgot the uh josh peck in this movie the the spawning of many jokes when the trailer dropped my favorite being drake yeah where's hiroshima but um he was like the guy he plays is the same is the guy historically in the bunker with oppenheimer that says now we're or that said now we're all sons of bitches but he doesn't freaking say it in the movie and i was really waiting for him to say it no that's because now i am become death is way cooler yeah but everyone knows that like i feel like the this isn't about now, josh peck this is about killian murphy making a big explosion now we're all sons of bitches laugh track from drake and josh (laughs) megan megan 
but man <laughs> so pivoting imagine if Barbie. imagine imagine if she had had a cameo in this film <laughs> as who i don't know just random college student I... man but since this is a double feature pivoting to barbie what'd you think of barbie i didn't watch barbie yet dude what the hell we agreed that we were gonna do barbie and oppenheimer for this bonus episode don't tell me you didn't watch it don't say that i didn't watch barbie we're watching barbie next week (laughs) this is a war movie podcast i was prepared to talk about the war movie in this this sequence it is a war movie it's the women's ongoing struggles against the pressures of society it's an ongoing war dp sorry i just wanted to turn things around on you for a minute because i thought it'd be funny and it was but anyway getting back proud i'm proud of you i just sorry i just get so angry sometime and passionate about women's rights anyway speaking um, of speaking of anger i have i have to address something go ahead just Mind you, I loved the fact that when I showed up to the theater, the parking lot was packed. The movie theater had tons of people. Everybody yes. was everybody was dressed up. Like there were people in suits. There were people Dude. who were in flamingo shirts for Barbie. Like it was it was like opening night for a Harry Potter or an Avengers movie. It's something <laughs> that I had an experience in such a long time. It was something that COVID took away from us for such a long time. And I, I love that both Barbie and Oppenheimer has like reignited that spark of like, not only the theater. Yeah. The theater is not just a, Oh, I'm going to go watch a movie. It is like, it is a, is a communal event. It's yeah. It's an event. And I love that feeling. And I remember people hyping up the movie Tenet to be the the movie that gets everyone back in theaters. But I thought that was Avatar kind of, that was supposed to get everybody to come back. No, this is before that. Oh. But yeah, that was supposed to be the movie that got everyone back in cinemas. But they kind of overestimated the amount of people that lived in states that were still very anal about COVID lockdowns and shit. And yeah. I went to see it in theaters, mind you. I thought it was a pretty good movie. It had its problems, but whatever. Actually, that's another movie we can... Is Tendon on the list? Uh, honestly, I don't think so. Well, I count we, it as a war movie. We can discuss its merits at a later point. Have you seen it? I have not. Well, I have, and war is central to one of its themes. Okay. Okay. We- we can add it to the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You better. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, Anyways, um, back to my gripe. Okay, yeah. Continue. Like going into this film, I was super excited about it. This is a film I've want like since it got announced and I saw the initial trailer. I yep. have been stoked on seeing this movie. Showing up to the theater, it made my heart happy to see everybody getting back into the spirit of like opening day. You know, like we're all going to the movie. Like it was a good time. Sat down in the IMAX theater. And mind you, this is the first time I've gone to an IMAX film. Um, I know shocking for, yeah, it's, 
I've had the opportunity to go see other IMAX films, but this was the first time uh, I had actually seen a film in IMAX, and I'm happy I this was my introduction to IMAX. Um, so you know, I paid the few extra dollars to go see this movie on the fancy screen, and mind you, so did everybody else in the theater. You know, it was like twenty some bucks a ticket. Now. I get it that not everybody's going to share the level of excitement because they're not a history nerd or, you know, they're not a cinephile, if you will. But if you're the kind of person who shows up to an IMAX movie and you sit in like basically <laughs> where you were sitting, the third or fourth row, smack dab in the middle of the theater. And if you spend two and a half out of the three hours of this film scrolling your phone with the brightness set to the highest possible setting to the point where I, the person sitting four rows behind you, know that you are shopping on Facebook Marketplace. And I can see not only your stupid Larry the Cable Guy looking motherfucking face, as well as the faces of everybody around you stay the fuck home yeah why did you spend twenty dollars on an imax movie ticket if you're not going to watch the fucking film like i i love this film i thought it was a great film i honestly enjoyed it i would have enjoyed it more had i not had to look down every three to four minutes because there's a giant fucking fucking light beam hitting my face <laughs> while I look at your stupid silhouetted head. Oh God. Like just stay home, man. It is. And it's also like what on Facebook is more important than the viewing experience of 200 people who are sitting behind you. Rude doesn't even begin to cover it. Like, I, I, I will say this. I am not above having someone check their, like, Apple Watch or somebody do, like, a quick glance at their phone. We're in the 21st century. The shit's going to happen. I'm, that's not what I'm beefing about. What I'm beefing about is the fact that you are sitting smack dab in the middle of the theater, fucking around on your phone to the point that not only myself... But like the people behind me and the people to the side of me are also like grumbling under their breaths, like dur, 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 stupid fucking like I was not the only one in this theater having this thought. So dear Larry the cable guy looking motherfucker, you're a douchebag. Stay home. Yeah, Don't go back you. to the theater. Don't go back to the theaters. Yeah, we know you're listening to this asshole. We have your IP address. We have your address. We have your phone number. We have your ass, mister. You're donezo, kid. We have none of those things. Shut up. He doesn't know that. Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to feel like a tough guy for once in my life. How about we not make threats towards people? But it's fun. What are they yeah. going to do? Call the cops? Miranda, Miranda was more heated about this than I was. And I literally, like, she's like, I'm going to say something to him. I'm like, absolutely not. And I, like, grabbed her by the hand and I led her out of the theater because I'm like, we are not getting into a fight in the middle of the fucking AMC. Like, 
I'm pissed about this too, but no. Did you hit him? No, I I I tracked her out of the theater before she could. Did you hit him? Is what I asked. No. Why not? Because that would be assault, Jack. Not under Colorado laws. I, if I recall correctly, Colorado laws. Oh, there's a movie theater exemption. Yes, there is a movie theater exemption to the assault clause of Colorado's law. It's like any douchebag that scrolls Facebook Marketplace is everyone in the theater needs to beat him profusely. A douchebag Look is it up. defined it's a real as. Law. Yeah, um, and I quote a Larry the Cable Guy looking motherfucker. Yeah, it's, it's, it's law. Look it up. Oh, God. So, hey, man, I'm just saying you could have done your civic duty. It probably would have been to the uh, uproaring applause of the theater, but. <laughs> also, it's not hard. There is literally. Well, you you would have to not be scrolling your phone to see it. But at the beginning of the movie, in case you didn't know, there's a little uh, frame that says, hey, silence your phones and put them away so that you're not a distraction. Wait, there's a you guys get a frame like just a frame saying that. Well, it's 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 like part of the opening. Like this, like sit down, enjoy the show. Please silence your phones. I'd just like to take a minute to compare our cinemas. So where did you see this again? AMC? Yeah, I saw it at an AMC. Okay, a chain movie theater. Okay. Yeah. And I said to my, I said to our glorious listeners in our last podcast that I live in the state capital of South Dakota, Pier, and it's only about 15,000 people. We have a movie theater, and I'm pretty sure it's independently owned. And for so what makes this theater so unique is it shows like South Dakota historical pictures and trivia and shit. Like it talks about Wild Bill. It shows pictures of sod houses and like pictures from the late 1800s and early 1900s of around Pier and the surrounding area. And like Battle of Wounded Knee. And no, it doesn't show that. It shows like the flood of 52. It shows what street corners and streets looked like in the 1900s. It showed the old high school that burned down. Um, and so for the longest time, for a good chunk of my life, that was the only theater experience I had. And I thought every theater did this on some level. So imagine my surprise when we had to go to another place. What, what, what the hell was it? Oh, yeah, my brother was getting really bad sinus infections. So we had to have make a special doctor's appointment in some other town in south dakota it wasn't sioux falls or rapid but a bigger one than pier so we go there and coincidentally this same night that we were staying over at the hotel sopranos was ending and i know that dates me but bear with me and my parents are huge sopranos fans and sopranos is not for kids so they gave us like 40 no 
shut up. And they they gave us 40 or $50 for fuck off money. And me and my brother went and watched Shrek or something or some some one movie that was out around that time. I don't remember. But so we go and we watch the movie and it was in one of those chain movie theaters and that we were just blown away like they're serving fucking hot dogs and brats oh yeah burgers at the concession stand not just candy and popcorn i mean shit they're serving booze at amc now what yeah well we couldn't buy booze then but we would have been blown away and we get into the theater instead of facts and trivia and historical photos we've seen a hundred times it's ads we see on tv and like yeah that 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 really kind of ruined it for me is just the ads part i never realized how annoying that was but we had ad we have ads in the pier theater and they're not for big chain stores no they're local stores like the carpet store or the roofing place or an electrician's Stanley or the steam or the carpet cleaner we also have um what the hell um a company that specializes in teaching people how to fly so an aviation school that has that has advertisements in that theater and i just i never realized how special that was honestly no like small town theaters hit differently i i can't relate a hundred percent to that but i can a little bit because i grew up on a military base as a kid and uh something that I think was, I haven't seen it in any other theater, but something that was unique to the theater on our base was it was like, it doubled as like a special events auditorium. So it was a single room theater, but it sat maybe like a thousand people. So it was, yeah, it was a fucking huge place and the screen to match. But uh, before every before the commercials would start for, or there would be commercials and you knew the film was about to start because they would play the national anthem. And it was like this super cheesy crop together video. And it all like, when it was like the home of the brave, it was like an Eagle with a fucking waving American flag in the background. (laughs) (laughs) And then the movie would start. man and let's not forget the um, uh, um propaganda they play it there i don't know if it's play it was played at your theater but our theater has this goddamn propo piece that they play all the time and i what the is hell it for was it? is it for uh governor noam no it's for pi- it's about piracy and oh. i don't i don't remember how it starts it's like some some woman doing something and oh yeah texting during the movie and it says this is rude and then it shows the guy answering his phone and beginning to talk and it says this is annoying and then it shows a guy a bald white dude in a hoodie pulling out a sub not even sneak oh yeah he has a camcorder no yeah he pulls out his camcorder to record the movie and then in big letters it says this is illegal and then the a a sign from 
the NATO, NATO, the North American Theater Organization. What else would it be? Just advertising this. <laughs> it's just so fucking silly. And but here's so, the thing: even in a in a in an ad like that, it's a well established fact that having your fucking phone out is not okay. And a thing. The thing about that is, so there have been six or seven times in my life where I've gone to a movie and I've just had the theater all to myself. And most of those admittedly were in the Vermilion Theater. But I was there with you a couple of those times. Yeah, I know that. But I've also gone alone to a theater or to a movie or two in the Pier Theater. I, I went to Moana completely alone. And like... I, it was right before it was like during a snowstorm i went to this don't know why i went i was just bored and wanted to risk it so i went there and i watched moana and there's shiny yeah jermaine clement clement whatever but that dude from flight of the Concords, amazing voice anyway but i could have just pulled out my phone and recorded then and there like no one would have stopped me no one was looking like at my theater they don't even take your, they don't even check your tickets anymore you just buy them and walk in like i could have easily bought a ticket to something else and gone in a completely different theater and sat wherever the fuck i please no one's checking this but there's a lot of theaters that are like super anal about your seat number and where you sit right but i've never been to any of those theaters i've most I've been to is like whatever that big theater is in Aurora, Colorado, and that maybe an AMC or two somewhere. Been to this. You and I went down those road trips to those sci-fi movies in Sioux Falls a lot. I lo I loved that. We saw Blade Runner and Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, yeah, we did. Do you oh, think I was gonna Ghost in the Shell counts. What? It counts in the same way that Judge Dredd does, War on Crime. That's fair. Again, this is a tenuous topic that's best reserved for a later date. But as you were saying, yeah, I really do love the magic that this experience br brings. Like all the women dressed in pink and with Barbie t-shirts and all and like the dudes dressed in suits. <laughs> uh Well, but I anyway, think, I think it might be time for us to to give our rating for this film. Not yet. There is oh, one more yet. thing I'd like to talk about. Two more things I'd like to talk about. I'd like to Gary discuss Oldman. The... I'd no. like to discuss the ending. Oh, OK. Like throughout. The... Again, this is a spoilers, but you already knew that if you've gone this far in the podcast and didn't know that that's on you. But anyway. Yeah, throughout this movie, it's alluded to this private talk that Oppenheimer has with Einstein, where the dude walks by him and Einstein is just gone. Like He's so shell-shocked from what Oppenheimer told him that he just doesn't even address Strauss just walks right on by him and that bothers straws like oh what did he tell einstein that turned him against me hardy heart heart and it is at the end it he, is a beautiful scene oh it is and at the end 
I like the part when he goes up to him and he looks across the pond and he sees like the droplets like from the rain that look like radi- explosion radiuses or whatever the word for that is. Harkens back to when he was looking at that map and he envisioned like the raindrops falling as bombs exploding on the map. Anyway, so he's talking with Einstein and he's talking about that time when he thought or he theorized that setting off the nuke would ignite the biosphere by a, via an uncontrollable chain reaction. Mm-hmm. And again, there was no precedent for this. There was no guarantee that wouldn't happen. It was a possibility, admittedly very slim, but for all they know, they were risking an end to the war. Well, it's like it's like Matt Damon said. He's like near you know, zero incredulously yeah and oppenheimer is like well what do you want he's like i want it to be zero <laughs> <laughs> but Einstein, uh oppenheimer and at this at this point it's like late 50s so it's been a good nearly 15 years since the bomb dropped nearly and it's been weighing on oppenheimer this whole time so he just looks gaunt and just dead and if i'm not mistaken oppenheimer carried that guilt with him for the rest of his life if i'm wrong feel free to prove me wrong but he mentions to einstein something along the lines of remember when i came to you and i was scared that we had invented a bomb that could destroy humanity maybe we did and that's just such a wham line that the people I went to see this with just kind of like looked at each other quietly for a minute before I broke the silence by saying, well, that was a dour ending. <laughs> right. But I don't think there's any better ending for it though. I think it was a, a great way to end the film. Also it, it not only is it show the gravity of, you know, how Oppenheimer views the overall events of the story, but it also shows us that like literally uh, Strauss's like hell bent journey. The last decade was all over a false notion of what he thought occurred. And also I lied. I have more things to bring up. Um, I can't believe I almost forgot this, but I absolutely must mention this. Um, Josh Hartnett played a guy named Ernest Lawrence in the movie, who's a colleague of Oppenheimer. And I mention this because this guy grew up in Canton, South Dakota, and graduated from all, our alma mater, USD, in a, let's see, what, what did he even have? His degree Hail was in chemistry. South Dakota? His degree was in chemistry, and he would later win a Nobel Prize in physics. So, yeah, we went to the same school as one of the guys that made the bomb. Yeah, America. Yeah. <sighs> but um, we forget. Also, before we. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, before we give our rating and do the Rotten Tomatoes ritual. What are you drinking tonight, John boy? I am drinking a peach pale ale from Lone Tree Brewing out of Colorado. I'm drinking a Bud Light. 
a tall one, because that's the kind of day I'm having. Well, had over now, but my drinks, my drinks fine. I I wouldn't say it's my number one choice, but it it does the job. Yeah, the best beer you'll ever drink isn't necessarily the brand. It's the day you're having. And I will go to my grave saying that. I think that's a very fair, fair assessment. I think I remember uh, when I was still on the fire department, um, me and my station, we participated in a stair climb event for one of the anniversaries of 9-11, which if you're not familiar with a stair climb, you literally, while wearing a full set of uh bunker gear you know the whole firefighter outfit uh you climb 110 stories because that's how tall the world trade center was which uh in full gear is not fun uh but you know memorial events and whatnot but i remember i was probably like five or six pound lighter after that that workout (laughs) But we all went out for drinks after the fact, and that was probably one of the best beers I ever had. Now, some of the best beers I've had in my life came after 12-hour days on the ranch or 12-hour days studying at USD. And... These weren't high-end beers, mind you. The most high-end those beers got was Guinness. Hams, oh my God. Schlitz. And a couple Coors, yeah. One of the best-tasting beers I ever had was after an entire day, and I'm not even exaggerating, from the minute my feet hit the ground in the morning to when I crawled into bed that night. Like, this was two or three days straight I did this, of nothing but studying and doing math to prepare for an exam. And after I did the exam, I passed, by the way, I walked straight to my dorm room, like took off my shoes and socks, and I cracked open a Coors and sat down on the little futon my roommate set up. And that was the best goddamn tasting Coors I've ever had in my life. Like, after three days of that, capped off with passing the test, man, I feel I earned that. Yeah. Now, anyway, let's see what Rotten Tomatoes has to say about this movie. Well, uh, I, think that, we sh- I think we should maintain our, our custom rating from when we uh, did our review of the trailer for this film. Uh several weeks back i don't remember what it was uh it was one to five on the geiger counter oh i give this a five i agree this is a if i could give it a higher rating i would this is a five out of five film it's unfortunate um because of because of how or when it was released but all the different aspects of this film I think this is honestly worthy of a best picture as far as an Oscar goes, but being so far out from Oscar season, I think this film is going, 
going to end up it, it, it's going to win oscars don't get me wrong but it's going to get like sound effects and cinematography and that kind of stuff maybe gets like a supporting actor oscar but like every performance in this film is is top notch the cinematography is is a one the sound is fantastic it's brilliantly written i just it's hard to ask of there's really nothing i could ask of this film to be different to make me happier so yeah five out of five all right let's see what our colleagues at rotten tomatoes say wow so this has a 94% tomometer from the critics and a 94% audience score. Huh. I, is this the first time that it's been the same? Like, it's almost no, been there was one other film that they matched. I can't remember which one it was, but, um, I'm not mad about 94. I think it deserves more than that, but I'm, I'm not butthurt about it. Yeah, I kind of get it. Honestly, I think I agree more or less with 94%. I can kind of see where they dot maybe docked at points for, well, it's length. To put yeah, it bluntly, I can, can kind of see where they docked points, especially, like I said, the courtroom scene that seemed to drag on and overstates welcome, but that's that's a minor detail. So yeah, I think that's a fairly fair score for this. Any other thoughts? No. I, like and, I, uh, like, I was going to ask any historical inaccuracies that you saw. I there was one. Um, I didn't notice it, but I saw it's been making the rounds around the internet. The scene that we we're talking about, where Oppenheimer gives his speech to the other yep. members of Los Alamos. Uh, and they're all waving 50 star flags. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't care. That's, that is a detail that I am a hundred percent willing to, to let slide. Yeah. You know, no movie's perfect. A glaring mistake, but yeah, it's, I didn't notice it, but you know, I don't notice anything. The only way you're going to notice that shit is if you freeze frame it and count like that. That was just somebody being pedantic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because that that particular scene, it was like it was on screen for like two seconds. But if uh, anything else on your end? Mm, no. All right. Well, we greatly enjoyed having all of you with us. If you like the show, please leave a review. The stars do matter. Uh, if you want to catch more content from us, such as memes and whatnot, you can uh, find us over on Facebook and Instagram at the Armchair Commanders Podcast. Um, additionally, if you know a friend who likes war movies, share the show with them. See if they like it. Uh, with that being said, I've been John. And I'm Jack. And we will catch you next time. I'm not going to do the long, drawn-out bye part. I'm too tired. All right. Goodbye. <laughs>